so come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, my well-beloved spouse. Come Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello and welcome to an episode of Mike. I am your host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization at St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, and you are listening or watching to the official podcast of our beloved parish. And I'm a little in a different place as you can see i'm looking right at you you can see me i've got before me to my right i have our seminarian mr christopher angermeyer how are you i'm doing well how are you shane i'm doing good welcome back to the show we yeah, heard your story you. last week and of course to my left here we have the gallant father Rossi, <laughs> <laughs> who is uh back with us uh today what we thought we would do and i would bring both of them on maybe we would have a great uh conversation uh, as well. But Father Rossi, it's great to see you and you were away last week. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you were and what you learned. Well, I was in West Virginia. The state motto is wild and wonderful. And, uh, and you know, West Virginia is also almost heaven, <clears throat> as you might recall from the great John Denver's song, uh, Country Roads. So when uh, my priest friend, Father John Eckert, and I were driving up there, we appropriately played the John Denver song as we crossed into West Virginia and rolled the windows <laughs> down and sang very loudly and wonderfully. Oh, that's great. Country roads, take, take me home to, to the place, place I belong, West Virginia. Anyway, so we went up to Wheeling, uh, which is way, 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 way up. <laughs> it's this little tiny sliver of land, if you've never seen West Virginia clearly. Um, is the state's oddly shaped like all the states, but there's this little piece that goes way up um, above the rest of the state line, and uh, it's, it's still the state of West Virginia. In Wheeling, we went to Ogilvy, uh, which is a um, golf resort there, and it was hosted by uh, Dr. Scott Hahn and Dr. John Bergsma. Both of them are biblical scholars, uh, theologians, and professors at the Franciscan University in Steubenville. And uh, they hosted a conference called Be, Courage Be Strong and Courageous for Priests. So they do three conferences every year throughout the nation. And this one has been traditionally held at, at uh, Ogilvy Resort. And this year we had 233 priests attend. So 38, or I think it was like 38 different dioceses there. So it was really uh, wonderful. The theme uh, of focus was on the Gospel of Luke. So mm -hmm. Dr. John Bergsman gave uh, conferences on the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Dr. Scott Hahn gave um, kind of different theological exhortations in the evening, uh, some of them around Abraham and the covenants, uh, they, uh, and then uh, St. Paul. We talked about St. Paul a bit with him as well, and uh, it was just an excellent uh, week. We also heard from a um, kind of a rising theologian, uh, uh, systematic theologian, uh, Dr. Lawrence Feingold, who's a convert. In fact, all three of these men, uh, Scott Hahn, John Bergsman, Lawrence Feingold, all con converts. Lawrence Feingold was an atheist, was an atheist, he was telling us, and a uh, great conversion story, but he's now compiled three major works. On One was on the Eucharist, well, the other one was like on... It's like 700 pages long. Yeah, the Eucharist. <laughs> I did it's buy massive. that, I, I have to admit. Um, I bought that book. Um, uh -huh. I know. And uh, one on the sacraments, and then one okay. on faith. So I did get that one. But... Um, we had a great time. We had mass every day, 233 priests together. They do a really good job setting up the, the, the resort for us. And two chapels with the Blessed Sacrament reserved, and then one main hall for, for mass. And they have a big stage where actually 
everything the sanctuary set up and they just put the curtains away draw the curtains closed and you know everything's just already set up uh, so then we you know have mass uh, each morning and it was just a great time for fraternity and to really you know be recharged in my desire to study and learn more about God's word learned a lot about the gospel of Luke of course we're in the year of Luke and that's what they do they they you know tailor it so that when we come to the conference each year, we're going to talk about the gospel writer that the church is in in her lectionary year. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Dr. Bergman said, you know, you probably think, well, the year is half over. You know, he says, actually, we're not even close to being halfway through Luke yet, really. Because, you know, you have Lent and, you know, Luke's cycle is interrupted a lot. So please, John. Put, yeah. please put on John's hold until you get back to ordinary time. Yeah. So but anyway, so we march through the lectionary year kind of quickly just... What, what Luke's going to be unfolding um, for the rest until Advent. We switch to Matthew. Um, so I found it just a very refreshing, renewing time, very enjoyable. You know, one of the things that um, I don't know if we appreciate so much that we all know that the Gospels are Greco-Roman biographies. That's what they are. They're in that genre of the ancient world, but they're actually works of theology. And I remember when I was going to UNC Chapel Hill in the Department of Religion, and there was no God there. It was very secular but that each one of the Gospels has a particular emphasis mm -hmm. or yes. emphasis on the life of Jesus. And it really helped bring that to, to bear. And what, what we remembered, or what I can remember, I don't know what you have learned, maybe you can share with us a little bit, maybe what you're, you've learned in seminary as well, is that Luke, among all the Gospels, is the most uh, social-oriented, where it, you really just see th coming to the fore Jesus' uh, preferential option for the poor. You know, Mary begins in her Magnificat. Uh, he has sent the rich empty away. He has filled the hungry with good things. Um, Jesus says, I've come to preach good news to the poor. That's in Luke. And then the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, not so much the poor in spirit. Um, and Matthew was more the Jesus is the new Moses. You know, he ascends the mountain, the mountain of Beatitudes, gives the new law. And then there's Mark, which was more of the suffering servant, because in Mark's gospel, Jesus is focused on the cross. And then in John, his great Christology, the Word made flesh. I mean, what were some of the things that, and, and you can contribute as well, what did you learn about Luke? What were they saying about that gospel as far as his theology and his angle? Well, one of the things is, you know, uh, the emphasis that, you know, Luke really existed, you know, um, and there's a lot of skepticism out there that always wants to throw this you know, uh, skepticism on the scriptures and the gospels like, well, you know, they're written anonymously and someone put a name on it later on, or it was kind of pieced together by a community. And, and Dr. Bergman was so great. He says, you know, we live in a culture right now. He says, when you get an email from someone you don't recognize, is your first response to take it as, oh, that's true. It's probably what I should do. I should probably send this person some money or buy an iTunes card. Or, you know, if somebody writes something and then gives it to you and it's anonymous, like you don't take it seriously. You know, he says you we 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 and they weren't doing that in the in the ancient time. You know, I mean, you 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 read this you read the gospel because you knew the author. You know, the author was real, was part of a community. You know, was known to people, and was respected. And Luke, uh, being a, a physician, so we the traditions you know Luke, Luke is a physician. I think it mentions that also in um, in the scriptures. Um, Luke's Greek was very uh, polished. So that's one of the things we learned about him, uh, and very close to Saint Paul, in uh, in uh, in friendship, mm -hmm. and probably helped Paul uh, with his letters, you know. And I don't know how, you know, Paul's Greek is is known as being 
pretty rough and uh, rugged. Right. So perhaps as is Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel yeah. is very unrefined as yeah. well. And but Luke's not. Luke is, and I mean, and and, and then they they read off, you know, that first passage from uh, from Luke's gospel. You know, yeah. So he says, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. And one of the things he mentioned too is that Theophilus, you know, that means lover of God and that kind of People say, oh, that's sort of like the open-ended name, like everyone who's reading this is a lover of God. But there's even some research now that indicates that Theophilus was uh, was a, a, a most person, reverend. Right? That means you're a most reverend something. You know, like we say, most reverend father. You know, this could have been like a high priest or a high mm. person of, uh, of uh, high stature. And he's writing this for this person to make an account for Christ, you know. Um, and so, but yeah, he says, you know, Luke's gospel, he's telling you right off the bat, what did he do? He's heard about it, was handed on, there's eyewitnesses, and he decided to investigate everything carefully and thoroughly putting together this orderly account, you know. So um, that, that's just a really beautiful beginning for Luke, but also it just really shows you that's really what the, the, the evangelists set out to do in their own way with, the, with their background that they could. Um, we do know uh, that Luke is the longest yes. gospel, even though he doesn't have as many chapters. As, you know, Matthew has more chapters, but Luke has more verses, and Luke's um, chapters are longer. And then if you combine Luke, and Luke also wrote Acts, uh, Acts of the Apostles, so you have Luke, Acts, and then you have all of Paul's letters that Luke and Paul really wrote more than half the New Testament. Sure, yeah. You know, so really understanding these two figures is really key to uh, understand the Old Testament so that we, you know, that was, you know, fascinating for me. Of course, where would we be with our Marian the- our Mariology? Exactly. You know, like so many out. other great parables. Go ahead, Christopher. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I think that is important that you kind of discussed with Luke was the importance of Luke and Acts, that they're, they're almost, it's, there's basically a continuation from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts. And you see like the hinge point being the ascension of our Lord. Um, and how both actually recite the beginning of the ascension in both. Um, but like what you really see from, um, I would say, more so of Acts, is how the early church is the founding of Christ's church, and it is Christ's church. I mean, one of the greatest examples you have is we have our first martyr, St. Stephen, and how similar it is to the passion of our Lord, like mm-hmm. just the parallels between like... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Yes, or just even the large crowd gathering coming out after uh, after Stephen, I mean, and in the end of him just fully giving his sacrifice. They go out to the city to, uh, to you know, sacrifice, and they didn't do it inside the city the same they did with Christ. Um, so there's just a lot of different parallels that yeah, you see. Yeah, how the early church recapitulated the very life of Jesus. Um, I, I know I've... I've some people say that really the, the, the book of Acts is like the gospel of the Holy Spirit. You know, because once the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, and of course Mary is there at the beginning, yeah. just like she's at the beginning of Luke's gospel, um, the Holy Spirit is the agent in charge of just orchestrating everything. And the Holy Spirit sent them, and the Holy Spirit this, and the Holy Spirit that. Yeah. So it's really the gospel of the Holy Spirit, the, the book of Acts. Yeah. And I mean, uh, another thing that my professor always talked about was like this was, in some sense, 
the beginning of people realizing martyrdom. Because um, the early church was persecuted in a high, high percentage, and I mean Acts is a great example. Like, you see, you see James, you see Stephen, you see multiple people, have, and die within, uh, die within Acts, and is willing to give their life for the sake of Christ. I mean, um, it was really a great example for the, especially for the early church of that martyrdom. Yeah, yeah. And we just had the Feast of St. James on Monday, uh, St. James the Great. And, um, you know, the, the gospel for that feast is, you know, the mother of James and John uh, going to Jesus saying, you know, provide, you know, allow my sons to sit at your one to your right, one to your left, you know, um, that seats of glory, you know. Um, and then our Lord says, you know, do you, can you drink the chalice that, um, that I'm going to drink? And they both say, we can, you know. And, but that really is the chalice of suffering. And uh, you see in Acts 12, verses 1 through 2, it's sort of very, it's like the brevity of it all, but it's just, you know, I don't have that in front of me, but um, the, uh, it says that, you know, when Herod uh, Agrippa was king and it was 84 or 44 A.D., um, he laid hands on some of the followers and had James beheaded by the sword. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Then he arrested Peter right after that, it says in the Acts 12, 1 through 2. But that um, Pope Benedict has said the brevity of that might show us just how prominent James really was to be mentioned by name because the martyrdom of the Christians in the early church was so common. You know, but yeah. say, oh, another one, you know, martyred. But, <laughs> but, no, James, the best. but, <laughs> but James, uh, James, the, James the Greater uh, was beheaded and... and in the list of the martyrs, you know, is the first apostle to be martyred, you know. So it really was this, we can drink the chalice. Well, he, he did receive the grace to do that. He went right away. And then John was, you know, tortured, but then just died of old age. But, you know, they all live for the Lord. And um, I just, I, I was reflecting on that, you know, that the, why did they say they could drink that chalice? Because Christ said, can you drink the chalice that I'm going to drink? So, oh, he's going to drink. Mm-hmm. So they want seats with him. They want to be with him and everything. And oh, I want to drink the. If you're going to drink the chalice, I'll do like kids. They're like I want that. Whatever sure. mom and dad are doing, you know, yeah. you know, I'll, yeah. I want to do the that. I want to have that. Yeah. So, so there it is. You know that we're still called to that, to take that chalice of suffering in our lives. And I think that's, that's difficult. And I, even Jesus prayed, that maybe that chalice would pass in the Garden of Gethsemane. But. Yeah. Not my will, your will be done. But he, but the, the, not even in the huma, in the humanity of the son did he want the chalice. He, you know, he didn't. He was like, yeah, yeah, I loved. I'm. You sure. know, he he was praying that could it pass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that his human will is always perfectly conformed to the will of the Father, but only what the Father wills, right? Uh, but then back getting back to Luke about the will. You know, we can talk about Mary. You know. Um, you know, be it done to me according to your word, you know, the Magnificat, the Annunciation, um, the infancy narrative is so rich with Luke. And we always, Luke's infancy narrative on the birth of Jesus and shepherds and angels and a lot of that, a lot of that is that imagery we are so used to with Christmas nativity is from Luke. It's from Luke. And yep. and Gabriel uh, and, um, you know, Elizabeth and Zachariah, there's so much in Luke that if you think, man, if we didn't have Luke, wow, we would be... Oh, yes. So lost. Well, I was going to say that. Just think about the, how impoverished we would be. Yeah. Hardly would, anything in Mary. The so parables of Luke yeah. that we find in Luke. Right. You know, the Good Samaritan, the right. prodigal father, the prodigal yeah. son, the Magnificat, of course. 
the parable of the rich fool, uh, which is coming up this, this Sunday. I mean, all of these rich mm-hmm. stories that Luke has compiled for us. Yeah. yeah, he and I mean, you know, they believe he's a painter as well. And then there's traditions that he painted the first image of Our Lady, you know, um, but you, you read his gospel and he is pa- painting for you and I. I mean, you read it and you just... It's so vivid. Well, I'll also say back to your Mariology. Go ahead. You, you were going to say something. I was going to say, what's, what's also interesting about him is, like, how much of he paints so much of the background for you. That, like, when you're actually looking at the nativity uh, and the birth of our Lord, it's actually just two lines. It's a total of two lines, but he yet, he sets the, he paints the picture of the manger, of the inn, and how, like, you had the shepherds coming. Um, I mean, the passion's also very similar. Like, Christ in the Passion Narrative only speaks, for Luke's uh, Passion Narrative, maybe five times. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does not speak a whole lot. And you also get a lot of, like, details um, of just everyone surrounding it. Like, it's almost like you're seeing everything that's happening around the Passion Narrative, um, which is just, it's, it's a nice, like, picture. And you really get a better actual, like, scene of what's happening with inside of the narrative. Yeah, um, I think that uh, with with Luke too, just within the lectionary with our Sunday cycle, it's good for our listeners, you know, Catholics, to really understand that the church, you know, is moving through this Sunday to Sunday, like through St. Luke's Gospel. So, I mean, we're going to be hearing from St. Luke every single Sunday, almost, I can't think of when we wouldn't be, until Advent, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we have to be very aware of that, that... Um, that there's so much more to come with Luke, and we're going to be getting, um, you know, substantial amounts of his gospel for the next several Sundays. And and in a sequential order, you know, there are pieces that it's not in its fullness. We're not literally just reading from chapter 1 to, you know, uh, the final chapter, chapter 24. Um, but I think it's important to know where we're headed, and, and there's a, a, a break. I think it's in, you know, Luke 9, later in Luke 9, going to Luke chapter 10, that Jesus is, that said he's on his death march. You know, and because we heard a few Sundays ago, you know, Jesus, before he sent the 72 out, he set his face like flint to, towards Jerusalem. So even understanding that everything that Jesus is saying and preaching and the healing and all of it is, is his journey to Jerusalem. Like, that's where he's headed right mm-hmm. now. So, um so it's it's good to just keep that in mind as we go through those Sundays. I know in my early studies when I was a Protestant, um, it was Luke's, it was Mary and how she is really prominent in the Gospel of Luke, even in the most subtle ways. Now Christ, of course, is the center, and we will have to. This will have to be the uh, the, the subject of another podcast. Christ is the center, but so many, especially in Luke. Mary fulfills the teachings of Jesus to a degree that no one else quite does. Like it's in Luke's gospel, I think, where, well, in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord and do it. Mary starts out the gospel uh, doing that as well. She fulfills the Beatitudes in Luke to a a spectacular degree. Her Magnificat is pretty much the summary of Luke's gospel in summary form and how you see it unfolding that this is a God who is going to uh, redeem and save the poor. Um, it'll be great news for the poor, maybe not so great news for the rich. You really see that in Luke's gospel. So Luke has, I think, a high Mariology. Oh, definitely. More than others. Well, I mean, and, I, and I wish, and I tried to show this to my Protestant friends, like, like, can you see just how much Mary fulfills the words of, of Jesus 
in Luke's gospel and how paramount she seems uh, to be. The last thing, though, that uh, I do want to say before we move on to the to the next uh, subject is that I was under the impression for, for many years, uh, especially when I was in undergraduate school, that, well, there were multiple gospels around in the ancient world, and then the church just had to kind of pick the, uh, the, uh, the four that they seemed to prefer the best, which is outrageous, because we do know that there were other gospels written, Gnostic gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas that didn't make it into the canon. But what I ended up finding out in my research is that the credibility of the four gospels were already pretty much etched in stone in the earliest uh, churches. So much so that even though we don't have a canon until the 400s, if you read the church fathers, you are almost able to put together all of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John based on their writings alone. That Luke's gospel already was authoritative. There was no debating about that at all. So there's a myth to think that the church just had to figure out what to do uh, in response yeah. to the heresy of Marcionism. Well, you're, break, you're, break, you're bringing in a good point about the church fathers, that you know, these are the, the men, you know, the priests, the bishops, the, the followers you know, of, some of, of the first apostles, some of them. You know, as you go, and they were writing and making commentaries. Um, and so you're right, it was, it was, it was never questioned. You know, and uh, the, the, one of the points in the conferences, too, was that you know, we live in a world of fake news. You know, he says that's not new because even back then in the ancient world, people wrote uh, to, to, to confuse and wrote fake stories. That's right. You know, to, to, you know the devil's at work all the time. So, you know, the, to try to destroy the, the way, the followings of, you know, what do you do? What do we do now? You discredit. You cancel. You try to, you know, throw away the, the leadership, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's effective, and so that's really, in a sense, what was happening. Um, you mentioned Marcionism, and I don't think that our listeners may may not know what that means, but maybe a word about that. But that's actually, and to bring it up because it's not, it's still a philosophy today, right? It's if we're not careful, today, so which is anti Old Testament. Uh, Marcion was the he just he said, look, the God of the Old Testament is a different God. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace. I'm going to create a canon. I'm going to dispense with the Old Testament. I'm going to have Luke's gospel in it and maybe a few of the letters of Paul, and that's all we need. And of course, the church had to respond. Number one, A, it's the same God in the Old Testament and in the New. And B, the Old Testament is just as authoritative. It is holy scripture, as are the letters of Paul. And so the church, in response to Marcion, and put together what we know as the biblical canon. But it's it's great to know too that there's sort of a backdoor point that even Marcion, when he was throwing away the rest of Scripture, was like, "But Luke will keep." Right. Like how rich Luke really is. Like he could. That's true. Like he thought, well, you know, of all the Gospels, Luke will be the one. You know, we just need Luke and yes, some letters. But I think that it's important to understand that Marcion's, you know, you can't you cannot pick out. The pieces and the parts and the books of scripture that you like or that, that mesh with your worldview or with the truth as you know it. You know, it's God's full revelation and it still exists today. And, and people who purport to f- follow scripture can still do that. They can still say, well, you know, we don't believe that passage is really part of that gospel. And I heard that recently in a conversation, someone, you know, about, um, I don't know what, what gospel was, but just that. Um, we don't believe that, that was really part of this particular gospel. It was added later, and it's, it's like, but it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, but that's not the, you know, it doesn't have the same weight. It's in the Bible. It's all weighted the same. It's yes, all I, God's inspired word, you know. 
Every it's, single word of the Bible is considered divinely inspired. Right. Now, we can interpret it incorrectly. You right. can have that discussion of, are we interpreting this correctly? Sure. sure. But every single word in the Bible is divinely inspired, and that's what we hold as the true and, you, and, we, and we need the church. You need the magisterium. The, the magisterium, what is that? The, the, the teaching body. The, the teaching body of the church. The teachers. The teaching voice guided by the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the Bible is dangerous in the hands of an individual. Meaning that you can't just take the Bible and go off and, and, and read all of it and, and, and be guided by it. It's not, I mean, if you're serious about it. You know, I'm doing the Bible in a year, so I mean, I'm literally going to read every book in the Bible, you know, and I'm halfway through it. And there are a lot of difficult passages, you know, and if you don't, you if you just go off on your own and try and figure that out, that's that isn't even what this it was ever intended to be. Well, you're going to read it with uh, American democratic eyes. That's what people don't understand. You never go to the text in, in a vacuum. Right. We've all been informed by ideologies and philosophies, and we're going to read it like Americans and right. miss so much as a result of that. So we need guides along the way. But it's always been intended to be in a community setting, like in the church. Like the church existed before the Bible in its form was put forth. Well, these are church documents. Yeah. They right. were read in the context of the worship gathering. That's how people heard them, and that's where they're to be interpreted best within and, the context of the assembly. And that shouldn't sound foreign to people's ears because that's what they do in the synagogues. It was just the Torah, but that's scripture, and it's all it was proclaimed in the con- in the community. Sure. You know, in the assembly, assembled to, to offer worship to God. So what we're doing on Sunday with the, the lectors and the priests and the deacons proclaiming, it, that is, you know, thousands years old of that idea that you the community comes together to hear the word yes i think my point was is that um like if you were to go back to the ancient world and say yeah people individual people will have individual uh books of the torah or the new testament they might say i think they would get around to it but at first they were like wait a minute oh no yeah you would that's not meant to be at your house yeah, you're yeah. meant to hear that scripture read but you and, couldn't you couldn't have access to that but they would eventually yeah. come around and say this is a good thing yeah. but it is a, a dangerous thing last point is though let's appreciate luke's historicity um i think it was c.s lewis uh, who famously retorted to someone who said well you know the gospels are all myth uh, to which he responded uh, well you clearly have never read myths before especially ancient myths and that's what c.s lewis his expertise is that luke doesn't begin the gospel by saying once upon a time in a galaxy uh, far, far or a galaxy away. far yeah. far away, he starts with you know the governors Quirinius, yep. the emperors, yep. the Caesars, historical figures. By the way, um, there's a great book I cannot remember the name of it, but it's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. That why do we find all of these names mentioned these of of, of persons and we don't have a context for them? Cleopas, um, Mary of of Salome, or, or I can't think of all the names. Well, why are they mentioned? Because the community to whom Luke was writing knew who these people were. So these were people who could just like fact check exactly Luke's gospel, which, which I find is interesting. Now, um, this past Sunday we were reading from Luke, and it was the Lord's Prayer in Luke. And Jesus was encouraging us uh, to pray and to be persistent in prayer. And that rose for the group that uh, I led in the uh, afterwards at the Donuts and Dalma gathering, all kinds of questions about the, the Lord's Prayer. And notice that the Lord's Prayer as given in Luke is a little bit different than what different. Matthew yeah. says. Should that, should that um, alarm us in any way that we have a different Lord's Prayer in Luke? The 
than we see in Matthew? Should that in any way bother us? What do you, what do you say to that? Because that's some questions that people have. I mean, I think it, it goes into what the evangelists were hearing and picking up as they wrote exactly that. Right. You know, I think if you say, well, they're a different, it's a different way of the Our Father, but the, es- the essence, all the bones of the Our Father in Luke are the same as in Matthew. I mean, Matthew is a little more eloquent mm-hmm. and a little more uh, complete, a little more has more of a flourishing. Mm-hmm. But I think that Luke's sort of like, you know, all right, like if, what, what, what are like the, give me the main points. You know, in that regard, it was sort of more of a, a little more of a bare bones, our father, but but it's still all there. You know, our father, you know, hallowed be your name. You know, give us our daily bread. You know, uh, thy will be done. And uh, let us not let us forgive our trust, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive others who have mm-hmm. you know sinned against us. And then don't put us to the final test. You know, the temptation yeah. protects from the evil one. You know, so um, it, I mean, it, there's nothing it. to be uh, disturbed about it. It's just it's a different. You have eyewitnesses, and, you know, like they say, you know, one of the easiest things is just, um, you know, someone gets in a car accident, you know, and you're you're sitting on your porch on the corner of, you know, Maple and Smith Street, and, you know, they got two people that were in the car right behind the car that got hit, and, you know, the police officer shows up, and he's like, okay, what happened, you know, and like, well, I was standing over here, and this is what it said, and then he said, well, I was over here, and I just heard the woman shout, shout help me, you know, and the other one was there and said, well, help me. And I they're was, both yeah. speaking the truth. Yeah, the baby was in the back seat. You know, I didn't know there was a baby in the back seat. Well, this woman heard help me, yeah, and this baby is exactly what you would yeah. want to expect. If it were word for word, verbatim, verbatim, I would yeah. think, well, somebody's copying for somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's actually good news in a way that we have different angles and, and different language and, and ways of seeing Jesus. I mean, you're resonating with that. Yeah, so, like, one of the things I was going to discuss is, like, I think it, in some sense it makes uh, the gospel even more credible that we have these slight, like, disagreements. Because, I mean, part of it is, like, when you're thinking about this, I mean, the scripture was not written down till years and years after Christ had died. Right. So, if, if everyone had the same word for word on everything, that would say, that would, something would, like, be like okay they're getting this from it would like, make it less credible it would make it less credible compared to where if you have like little details mixed around it's it's it kind of shows that. i mean and like if you think about it like if if you ask someone to go back into a conversation even just like say 15 years ago i want you to remember this one random conversation to me and give it word for word how many like could we actually mm, that's a good point how many would we actually know word for word and have it completely the but same? there are some things that we can remember i can remember the the speech that uh at the time president george bush gave after september 11th yeah i can't tell you word for word what he said but i can give you a good summary of what he's going to say and i might be able to get yeah. some word for word as well but if i were to write a story on your life or your pers- or your time here at saint michael and father rossi was going to write uh, uh his testimony and i was going to write mine there would be some agreements but there would also be some differences in those yep. but it's but we're both saying truthful things about yep. you yeah yeah right i mean I, I don't i think it's not even really a matter of disagreement i think it's just um just different uh the perspective is enhanced or it has a different color a different shape you know but it's the same truth that's coming out but it, it, it's uh it's it's in it's it's in its beauty you know you're going to look at each uh, each piece of it, you it's know, like turning it, a gym. Yeah, and you need all of it. I mean, you, you recognize. Say, I wouldn't. I would never want to just like look at one side of the gem and never look at all angles. You know, because sure. it reveals itself more in a more robust way. 
that we have for four gospels. Isn't know? it fascinating that uh, the, the disciples say to Jesus, according to Luke, Lord, teach us to pray. And I've often thought to myself, of all the things to ask Jesus, to ask him to teach them, like you, I would, I don't know, if I were there, I would say, teach me the mysteries of the, the Holy Trinity or, or teach me how to preach or teach me how to pray. I mean, that's the one thing that the disciples really wanted to learn from uh, Jesus. I mean, comment about that. Like, if there's one thing I want to learn from Jesus, it is how to pray. Well, I would say they, they, because they watched him. Right. I mean, anybody who's there's good. something that was anybody happening. Anybody who's good at anything, you know, someone's a good, you know, like not downplaying prayer, but a good, uh, you know, a good artist, a good, you know, golfer, a good piano player, you know, just drawn in by their their art you know and prayer is an art you know i would say um and we want to learn you know so the lord is going to you know he's met obviously just a master the master of all prayer right so it seemed like such a simple childlike request but so perfect you know i mean yes of course teach us to pray because and that ought to remind us that we can't pray without god and his grace and his help and we can't right. you can't just be like well i just know no one knows how to pray oh. unless we learn from the lord you know and learn through life and have others teach us and similarly with scripture like you can't you, you know scripture we need a guide we need teachers we need uh that guidance and so the and jesus in his sonship you know because and what i love about the our father and matthew and luke is that it's both Father, right? You know, our fathers and Matthew comes a child, which is father. You know, it's like the first word that Jesus, like, what do we do? What how? What do we say? You know, you say, what do I say? Father, father. Right off the bat, you're like, I'm in a position of, of being a child of this God who's not out there in the middle of nowhere and ambivalent and you know inaccessible. He's father. I mean, according to the New Testament, it's not so much we're praying; it's the Holy Spirit praying in us. When we pray, you know, we get so caught up on, at least in my, my previous ex- past experience with in conversations and in classrooms, we get caught up in techniques and, and the hows and, and the where to fours. But ultimately, all prayer is Christ praying in us, his spirit praying in us. Paul really draws that out in Romans chapter eight, yeah. that the Holy Spirit groans within us, you know, with, with groanings that uh, words just cannot articulate in many ways. So that's why one of the reasons we pray is because it is God wanting to pray in us, and I find that to be so enriching and also quite mysterious in so many ways. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Well, it it was a wonderful week to learn about Luke, and here we are, you know, still delving into the the, the, the treasures yeah. of, and that's really what I, I I find is that the Word of God is filled with treasure. It you is. Know, well, it's, even it's, the Lord's Prayer is filled with treasure. Yeah. I, I've encouraged people just like slow down the language. Yeah. I mean, even the very first word, our. Mm-hmm. Father, we we come to God together mm-hmm. in our individualistic age that says, "Well, I just want a private relationship with Jesus." Well, you, <laughs> there's no such thing as a private relationship yeah. with this God. It is our Father. So, something as simple as like the Our Father, like I think we sometimes we overcomplicate prayer. Teresa of Avila in her interior castle, she talks about like how, and uh, the Our Father people can reach the seventh mansion. She holds this as like the highest place you could be the closest with you got just from the Our Father. Um, you mean saying it slowly? Saying it slowly, actually yeah. contemplating. Like there were, she knew sisters that that's, that's all they prayed was just the Our Father and yet they were still able to reach the heights. I mean, 
part of the beauty of it is, is one, our Lord has given this to us so that we can give it back to him in some sense. It's, it's such a, in some sense, it's such a simple prayer that a child can do it. But it's so, the beauty of it is it's also so complicated oh, that sure scholars are. could take years and years upon it. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of that prayer is that it's just, it's meant for everyone. It's uh, meant to be prayed by everyone. And I love that it's so, it's so Christ-centered, focused on God. Usually our, we think of prayer as, like, here's my request. I'm coming to you, Lord. Here's what I want you to do for me. But you, you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're, you're stripping your ego. It's all about, what do you want? I want what you want. It is your kingdom, not mine. It is your will, not mine. I'm going to forgive uh, as uh, I want to be forgiven as I'm forgiving other people. I can't hold on to my grudges uh, anymore. It just opens you up uh, to union with the will of God, which ultimately is what holiness is. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that uh, I've, I've talked about with others um, and again, another subject for another podcast is that the Lord does not necessarily say in the Greek, give us this day our daily bread. It is give us our super substantial right. bread, yeah. which I say to my Protestant friends, like, well, what do we do with that? It's not just the daily bread. It is something higher than just ordinary yeah. bread. Give yeah, me give the super substantial bread. Yeah, the Greek, daily. The, the Greek word there really is like above and beyond tomorrow. It's like it's this request today for something beyond but today we want, you know, uh, and so it's that it is, it is the Eucharist. It's the Eucharist. I mean, there's no other connection really when you say, well, what is this super substantial, super beyond, you know, reality as we know it? Preter, a preternatural yeah. kind of bread. Right. It has to be the Eucharist. And of course, we can receive it daily in the Catholic Church. So it completely makes sense within the Catholic uh, context. Um you know, one of the questions that people often have, you know, Jesus in 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 the in that lesson from Sunday says, you know, we should pray, we should be persistent. But how? What about since God knows everything, He already knows what we need. He knows what we're going to say before we say anything. How can we help our listeners and and even ourselves? Why should we pray if God is all knowing anyway? How does that fit in? Pray all the time, but yet God already knows what we're going to pray. What, what does that mean? How would you explain that? We'll go with the seminarian. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll end on this note. So but this is important. It is. Um, I mean, the first thing is prayer, like, what, what is your end ultimately? And our end ultimately is to be with God, to be one with him. Um, the simplest way you can put it is it's building a friendship with God. How do you build a friendship with someone? You have to communicate with them and you have to talk to them. You can't just be like, all right, let's be friends. That's it. Like, you're not going to build a friendship that way. You have to actually um, talk to that person and be willing to actually converse within that person. And that also means, one, talking, but that also means hearing from them. And I mean, that's just, that's the part of prayer is a lot of the prayer should come in God speaking to you into your heart and actually building upon you and having him come inside of you and building that friendship. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, again, it is that he, he wants to hear from us. Just like I mean, a child. He, yeah, I, mean, I mean, a father, a parent wants to hear from the child. Right. You know, he knows what we want, but he can't make us communicate with him. Right. So it's just like, you know, a similar sense of, well, how, parents, how, how do you feel when you never hear from your children? Ever. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's, 
I, I want to I just want to hear how they're doing I want to hear everything that's going on and so to mature beyond just asking things from God we all have to do that because we all kind of can approach from that but, but be childlike though you know that just yes just tell the Lord everything we want and need and let him give it to him you know to uh, it's up to him how it works out and how it unfolds but that and if God just gave us everything we wanted ask any parent what happens to the child that when you do that they're spoiled Every time they get what they want immediately when they ask it, they're spoiled. And the parent who says no all the time estranges the child from them. You know that God, the Father, knows what we need before we ask, yes, but literally meaning I know what you always really need. You know, and ultimately, when is it that we understand all I really need is the Lord? That's right. I, in I, my life. Yeah, I, I like Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the language here, but he would say something like, yes, God already knows everything to an infinite degree of what you would ever ask for or pray for. He knows exactly what you need, but God has also willed that you pray to obtain it. That's this kind of written into the divine plan. Yeah, like he, he has willed that your intercession for someone else would be the, the, the prayer, the means by which some kind of healing or, or miracle can, can occur. So, yes, God knows, but he's willed that we pray yeah. in, in cooperation with him uh, for, to, to help um, bring about his purposes in the world. And I, I think that is why we should still pray. Well, we're in a relationship with the Lord. And through a covenant, through baptism, which is a family bond, you know, and the reality is, is that we're in a family. We're not just, this isn't just a God who wants us to talk to him and tell us everything because he's in, he is all that. But it's like, I'm praying to him because he's my father and children go to their father with everything. Yeah. And that's the covenant bond that we have. Like I'm in a relationship with God, the one true God through my baptism. I am a child of God. And therefore, I must go to my father with everything. One of my favorite uh, illustrations from Mother Teresa in her life, I think she was being interviewed by Dan Rather, who was a CBS News anchorman in you know, the 80s and, and the 90s. So he says something like, well, Mother Teresa, when you pray to God, what do you say? She says, I don't say anything. I listen. And he says, well, when you're listening, what does God say to you? And she says, God doesn't say anything to me. He <laughs> listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't teach you anything. You know, and I love that understanding <laughs> that God is listening and I am listening to God. And that is a beautiful form yeah, of prayer. Truly. And the last thing I would say is about, about unanswered prayer. Jesus says, be persistent, be persistent. St. Augustine talks about this. It's a part of, the, I believe, the readings in the divine office uh, at some point in the year. Like, why does God withhold the answers to our prayer? He says something like, so that the more we pray for that thing, whatever it is, the more our desire is being increased. Our capacity to receive what God wants to give us is increased. So be persistent in prayer because you're stretching your soul to have long last receive what God wants to give you, which is ultimately himself. But I love that understanding of we want to stretch our soul right. to be yeah. able to be wide enough to receive the grace that God wants to give us, and we stretch it through our persistent prayers. Yes. Absolutely. Last, uh, any comments? Last final thoughts? Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That's true. Not saying. And read the Gospel of Luke. It's awesome. Read the Gospel it's, of it's Luke. It's amazing. Yeah. We have a great uh, few readings coming up. Well, thanks, uh, Christopher. Thank, thank you, you, Father. Thanks, Shane. And thank great you for you. listening and for watching. If you want any more information about our great parish, wonderful things happening here please go to our website at stmccg.org. Uh, you will notice that it's still faith, for, faith formation registration time. 
And if you want to take a pilgrimage with Father Rossi, and I guess I could put myself in there, and me, please, there's some information on our website. We would love to have you come to the Holy Land with us. I am Shane Page, Father Rossi, Christopher Angermeyer. Thank you so much for listening and watching. God bless you. God bless. God bless.